0: This list is people who have indicated they will invest. There are something like 550 people. Between them, they have said that they will invest £371,000, approximately £28 million in modern money.
1: This is 100 Years, 100 Objects, stories from the collections of Lancaster City Museums. I'm Rachel Roberts, the collections registrar for Lancaster City Museums. And today we'll be looking at the stories behind another object from our collections as we celebrate 100 years of our museums. Today's object is a small notebook, but one filled with big names, big numbers and a big story about the building of the Lancaster Canal. Today's object is a subscription notebook from 1792. The notebook is small, just over today's A6 size when closed. It was produced as a blank notebook, and someone has handwritten on the front a list of the subscribers to the Lancaster Canal. The cover has a pink and white marbled effect of wavy lines. On the first inside page, the user has added the date 1792, and the subsequent pages are filled with three columns of neatly written accounts stating the name of the subscriber, where they were from, and how much they had subscribed. Going through the pages reveals some familiar names in Lancaster's history and the sheer amount of wealth that was put into this project. We spoke to Bill Froggart, Heritage Advisor for the Canal and River Trust. Canal and River Trust is the charity that looks after 2,000 miles of canals and navigation throughout England and Wales and Bill kindly told us a little bit more about our notebook, the Lancaster Canal, and some of the people involved with it.
0: The merchants of Lancaster and Preston and Kendal had been talking about building a canal from as early as 1771. But for one reason or another, they couldn't really agree on a route for that canal. And it wasn't until the very early 1790s, 1791, really due to the progress of the Leeds and Liverpool Canal to the south, that their minds were really focused to get their canal built. In 1791, they established a committee chaired by local merchant Samuel Gregson, and they opened a subscription book for the canal and obtained the Act of Parliament required to build the canal in the following year, 1792. So this subscription book is effectively a list of local people who wished to invest in the canal. So the Act of Parliament to build the canal was achieved June 1792 and that was to build a canal from Kendal right down to West Orton which is uh, actually east of Wigan and the act also gave the uh, canal company the powers to raise 400,000 pounds in their money equivalent to about 31 million pounds in modern money and they would raise that through the selling of shares which are each worth about a hundred pounds. This list is people who have indicated they will invest and there are something like 550 people on the list And between them, they have said that they will invest £371,000, which is approximately £28 million in modern money. Now, the interesting thing about the people listed in the book is that two-thirds of them came from Lancaster and only 10% from Kendall and 1% from Preston, which I think really indicates where the drive for the canal was coming from, mainly Lancaster rather than Kendall and Preston. The canal is sometimes known as the Black and White Canal, and that's primarily because the intention was that they would use it to move coal north and take limestone to the south. And that is emphasised by the fact that the Act gave them the power to build two branches from the main line, one of which was from Tewetfield to Wharton Crag, where there is limestone, and another was from near Chorley to Duxbury, where there was coal.
1: Let's dive into the names on the list and find out a little bit more about who put their money into Lancaster Canal.
0: There's 550 people here. Some of the names are lost to history, but some of them are significant people from Lancaster's history. Families like the Satterthwaites and the Dilwurfs, architect Richard Gillow, son of the more famous Robert Gillow, and I believe the architect for the building we're currently sat in, the Customs House. And in position number one on the list... Abraham Rawlinson. The Rawlinsons were one of the most affluent families in the country at the time. Merchants made their money through trading and including the trading of slaves. Abraham Rawlinson lived at LL Hall down near uh, Galgate. He'd been the MP for Lancaster and he invested £10,000, which was the equivalent in modern money to about £750,000. There were other Rawlinsons on the subscription list, and between them, they invested £38,000, £3 million in modern money. Another character on there, John Dilworth, a banker. He also put forward something like £10,000. He was later to become the company's first chairman. And another banker, Thomas Warswick, who put forward £4,000 and he became the company's first treasurer. The second person on the list was the Earl of Balcares, Alexander Lindsay, who was a resident at Hague Hall near Wigan. Earlier in his history, he'd been a major in the 53rd Highland Regiment. He'd been at the Battle of Saratoga in the American War of Independence, where he'd been captured and spent two years of his life as a prisoner of war. But roll on to the 1790s. He owned a colliery at Hague, and that was adjacent to the proposed route of the canal. And he invested in the canal because he wanted the opportunity to sell his coal up into Lancashire and Cumbria. For him, it was a financial move to improve his bank account.
1: However, there were some notable exceptions to the names on the list. Those people who were active in Lancaster at the time, but appear not to have subscribed to the building of the canal.
0: I was surprised to see that the Gregsons weren't on the list. I've already mentioned Samuel Gregson. He was a clerk to the committee that organised this list that we're talking about. And when the Act of Parliament was obtained... He was made clerk to the committee for the canal company, a position he held for probably 50 years, and in that position he was effectively the project director for the construction of the canal. He engaged the engineers, he engaged the contractors, he uh, made sure the materials were ordered on time and they are in the right place. He essentially was the one key person responsible for the canal. And his son, Brian Paget Gregson, who became a clerk to the company in around about 1813, and he worked for the canal until his death in 1872, so for getting on for 60 years. Uh, he worked his way up from position of clerk to a position of engineer. So between them, Samuel and his son Brian were key members of the canal committee, for almost 80 years and probably the most significant family in the history of the canal.
1: But there were other names that Bill wanted to talk about as well. People who were crucial in the construction of the canal, but are not found in our list.
0: I think it's really important to remember the names of the people that were responsible for the canal or involved in the canal. And that's why it's great to look at this list of subscribers. But there are many, many hundreds of people who went out and got their hands dirty and built the thing. And Probably the most famous one is John Rennie, one of the country's foremost civil engineers and who is buried in St Paul's Cathedral and the Lancaster Canal was probably one of his first major projects. At the time he was based in uh, London. He identified the route for the canal, he drew up the plans and the specifications for the major structures such as the Loon Aqueduct, one of the finest structures on England's canals, and he, as I say, was based in London and spent quite a bit of time in London during the construction phase and as a consequence he had several resident engineers who were on the ground every day. People like Henry Eastburn, Archibald Miller, uh, another Scot, Thomas Fletcher, William Cartwright, and um, all these people were on the ground putting into act John Rennie's designs. If we just look at the Loon Aqueduct for a few seconds, that was built by Alexander Stevens, another Scottish fellow, and his son conveniently also called Alexander. Uh, unfortunately, Alexander Senior didn't survive. Uh, he died before the aqueduct was completed and in 1795 Samuel Gregson wrote a letter to John Rennie and in it he said the old gentleman as he referred to Stephen Senior had the misfortune to be run down by a cow which had broke loose from the butchers. He was considerably bruised but is getting better very fast. Well a couple of months later Gregson wrote a letter to one of the other engineers William Cartwright and said Poor Stevens is exceedingly ill and his recovery very doubtful. And two days later he died. And I wonder if those two things were connected. Maybe his injuries due to the cow were maybe more serious than they thought at the time and he died as a consequence.
1: Some of the people who worked on the canal were not as lauded or successful as some of the subscribers or the architects and ended their relationship with it in less positive circumstances. Bill told us a little bit about their stories.
0: There were hundreds of people involved, and I'd just like to mention two who history has forgotten. During the construction of the aqueduct, in order to build the piers in the river Loon, they placed caissons in the centre of the river and pumped the water out using steam engines supplied by the famous engineers Bolton and Watt. They employed a couple of chaps, one called Richards, first name forgotten, and another chap called James Law, and their responsibility was to run this steam engine, supply it with coal. Gregson wrote a letter about Richard as being a little free with the bottle, which I'm assuming means he liked to drink. And there's another story about James Law. And that says that one day James Law refused to get out of bed and sent his mum in with the message, I'm not coming into work unless you increase my pay. So subsequently, both Richards and Law were sacked. <laughs> The excuse given was that they, they both did not manage the engine in a proper manner and upwards of 3,600 weight of coals were burned today. Now I suspect there are other reasons for that dismissal. Two significant contractors, John Pinkerton and John Murray, they were contracted to effectively build the canal from Chewettfield all the way down to Catterall, around about 27 miles. In the event, it proved that 27 miles of canal was too much for one set of contractors. It wasn't helped by the fact that they were also under contract to build the Olverston Canal at the same time. The letters from Gregson to his various engineers are full of um, stories about the disagreements between the engineers, particular Archibald Miller and John Pinkerton. In um, 1795, Gregson wrote, I can say little in favour of our works contracted for by P and M. I am quite tired with writing about them. Eventually, Pinkerton and Murray lost the contract. John Pinkerton was from a family of three generations of civil engineers, who were responsible for building canals and other works the length and breadth of Britain. But he was frequently at odds with his employers and frequently found himself in court and I think also spent a little bit of time in prison for not delivering what he had promised to deliver. Despite the fact that the relationship between the committee and John Pinkerton ended badly, it's worth noting that on his death, He was described as a man distinguished by sincerity of manners and gentleness of temper, as a husband uniformly affectionate, as a parent laudably indulgent, as a friend invariably constant.
1: Despite all the issues and complications with building the canal, most of the intended route was eventually completed, giving people and goods a new way to move around this area of the country.
0: Eventually, by 1816, the canal was completed between Kendall and Preston and to the south of the Ribble it was completed from Walton Summit down to Aspol, where it joined the Wigan flight of the Leeds and Liverpool Canal and those two sections, the north section and the south section were joined by a tram line um, and they never completed that middle section. From the canal basin in Preston which was near the railway station the goods were transferred onto trams taken through Aynham Park across the former tram bridge, which is still there, and then up the hill to Walton Summit on the carts where the merchandise was transferred back into boats where you could sail all the way down to Aspel. It also gave you access to the Leeds and Liverpool Canal. So from there you could go to Leeds or through Wigan and to Liverpool. The southern section, perhaps few people realise, actually was the Lancaster Canal because it was leased to the Leeds and Liverpool Canal in 1864 and has been managed by them since that time. So very few people realise, I think, that the Lancaster Canal actually originally went south of the Ribble. It was designed to move coal, and that's primarily what it did. Uh, Many other merchandise was moved on the canal. And another, perhaps, significant use of it was for moving people. It had a very successful, what they called a packet boat, which was for moving parcels, hence the name, but also specifically for moving passengers a specially designed boat which moved as quickly as possible probably took about 14 hours to get from Preston to Kendal cost about 10 pounds which quite a lot of money in those days but actually comparative to the cost of traveling between those two places by train today.
1: Thank you so much for coming with us on this journey through local history today we do hope you will dig out some of our other episodes where we discuss everything from grand theatres to ghost stories